Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All you have to do is walk up to a random person in a train station. Tell me how it's been lately. It's been a nightmare every day. You even hear it above ground these days. You hear it almost every day right here. Again, Amtrak power problems at Penn Station. Before you take mass transit, which everybody tells you to because it's the right thing to do ecologically and environmentally. Hold up. There's problems again this morning. And finally, we're starting to hear it from the people in charge. Sure, this is not what everybody signed up for. Look, I understand that the customers are frustrated, and I and, and I don't blame them. We're attacking this with an all-hands-on-deck attitude. Declaring a state of emergency when it comes to the MTA. How did we get here? to a place where fewer than half of New Jersey Transit morning rush trains arrive on time, where subway delays are up more than 150% in less than five years, where our streets don't just feel more congested. The data show they are. Well, it's not all of a sudden. This has been creeping on us for a while. MTA board member Fernando Ferrer's point might be obvious to most people, but what's also obvious is that now things like this are happening. And then all of a sudden the power went off and all the um, the train basically stopped and we could see what I thought were flames and everybody started screaming. You know, pandemonium everywhere and sparks of fire all over. We are now seriously at risk. Mitchell Moss runs NYU's Rudin Center for Transportation Policy. So this is a city and a region that is driven by productivity and work, not by taking it easy. It's not Portland where you debate is whether you get coffee, which is with almond milk or soy milk. It's not Seattle where you're debating whether you get your, your high in the morning or in the evening. And it certainly you know, isn't San Francisco where your question is whether or not I should even go to work that day. This is a work-oriented culture. We need the subway and we need the commuter systems working. We can all agree on that much. And maybe we need it to reach this moment. Are we at sort of a breaking point where all of this is coming to a head? So we're actually very fortunate now. I looked a little quizzically at Phil Plotch when he said that. He used to work at the MTA, and now he teaches political science and public administration at St. Peter's University. When everybody realizes it's a problem, that's when you can solve a problem. It's when people ignore it. That's when we really have to worry about it. It's everybody in New York now, the business leaders, the elected officials, the subway riders, even the non-subway riders realize that there's a problem with the system, and we're all of a sudden we're seeing more resources being poured into it. And we're going to commit to an additional $1 billion in the capital plan so the MTA has the resources. Great, right? There's been a gross exaggeration that more money will do the job. No. We'll start with a big one, Penn Station. Next week, as the summer of hell gets underway, what is actually happening there over the next two months? Why? And will it fix this? Another canceled train. It's it's insane. Every, every day there's canceled trains. Until then, safe travels. I'm Alex Silverman, and this is The Breaking Point. To understand how we got here. New pain in Penn. It's probably the worst year, and it's gotten worse every month, probably for the last three, four months. You might start in 1970. The MTA, formed just a few years earlier, was in talks to take over Penn Station from the Penn Central Company, Penn Central which, let's just say, was in bad shape. Its destination could be disaster. Governor Rockefeller 
made a crucial mistake. Mitchell Moss runs the transportation center at NYU. If New York State had bought it, we would have had clear responsibility. Instead, six years later, control fell to Amtrak. And if you think what's happening now is new... Amtrak is threatening to take the MDA to court. You want to sue? Fine, let's see you in court. Think again. In the late 70s, the escalator to platforms 15 and 16 sat broken for four years because Amtrak and the MTA could not agree on who should pay for it. We took over the station in 1976. We doubled the number of train movements in the station, all on the same 1910 infrastructure. Stephen Gardner is the head of planning. Some might call that an unenviable job at the chronically cash-strapped Amtrak. There you know, has long been a, a situation of underinvestment across the terminal here between all the users. Translation, New Jersey Transit and the MTA are at fault, too. But if you ask Professor Moss... We were expecting Amtrak to behave with responsibility, and it failed to do that. This is not the fault of the New York part or New Jersey. This is a clear failure of the Amtrak management over 30 years. In any case, this is where we are. Latest derailment last night comes only days before Amtrak will begin extensive track work. No, I wasn't surprised at all. Sam Schwartz, better known as Gridlock Sam, was once the chief engineer for the city transportation department. When you see a series of derailments... Uh, there's usually a root cause, and that root cause is lack of preventive maintenance. In fact, their tracks were in such bad repair. Fernando Ferrer was the acting MTA chairman when the agency learned just how bad it had gotten. You could see the evidence of the crumbling railroad ties. Nothing for the rails to, uh, to be nailed to. I mean, that's nuts. Amtrak's been working on longer-term repairs, says Chief Operating Officer Scott Naparstek. We've been doing it at nights, we've been doing it on weekends. What these, these incidents are is saying to us we need to speed up the process. What the summer of hell actually involves is a rebuild of what's called A-interlocking. It's essentially the sorting mechanism that connects the Hudson River tunnels to the 21 platforms at Penn Station. It's a big job at a station jammed with nearly three times as many passengers a day as it was designed for. And now the onus is going to be on Amtrak to deliver. Tom Wright is the president of the Regional Plan Association, which studies long-term transportation solutions for our area. Let's face it, their track record's not perfect. And even Amtrak is managing expectations. The station will not be... Uh, quote-unquote fixed when we when we finish this work. In part because there's another meltdown waiting to happen, one that might make all this look like a hiccup. Instead of a, ma- a problem lasting weeks, it'll be a problem lasting more than a year. That's next time. Until then, safe travels. I'm Alex Silverman, and this is The Breaking Point. It was early October 2010. They were literally digging when this happened. New Jersey's governor has shut down the whole project. I can't imagine that in a world of ingenuity like we have here in America, that the Arc Tunnel is the only option to... There was a governor of New Jersey named Chris Christie. Phil Plotch used to be the director of planning for the MTA. Who saw, you're not going to get a lot of national uh, attention, and uh, if you're a Republican, uh, a lot of national support by supporting transit infrastructure. Then came Hurricane Sandy, which swamped the 100-year-old tunnels the Arc Project would have replaced. They leak. They move with the tides every day now. In 10 years, there's a high possibility, and in 20 years, there's almost a guarantee that one or both of those tunnels would have to be taken out of service. A disaster, says Tom Wright, who heads the Regional Plan Association, 
a group that tries to do the long-term planning that often escapes politicians. I think you could be able to see it on the economic scale of the United States. So no doubt you've heard about the current plan to replace those tunnels and the bridge over the Hackensack River that could fail at any point. A bridge and a tunnel that were carrying passengers when the Titanic was still under construction. John Percari is leading the Gateway Project. It replaces a single point of failure for 10% of America's gross domestic product. When you think of it that way, maybe $12.9 billion isn't so astronomical. But the question now is how to pay for it. No project of this magnitude can move forward without federal financial help. The understanding was the feds would pay for half and New York and New Jersey would each pay for a quarter. But that was before the election. President Trump's budget zeroed out funding for a grant program Gateway would have relied on. The spending bill in the House includes more than $900 million that could help get it started. We could get in the hypothetical weeds here, but the bottom line is it's a big question mark now. But guess who's all for it? So the president's well aware of my point of view on this project. In the meantime, the consequences of that 2010 stroke of Governor Christie's pen are coming into focus. I think New Jersey is already suffering to some degree in terms of a softer real estate market and, uh, and lower job growth because everybody knows that that link is, is at risk today. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying. And so get used to hearing this. A disabled Amtrak train in one of the Hudson River tunnels. There's no air, we couldn't breathe. You know that routine if you ride the New York City subway, too. Our politicians have amnesia. They don't follow history. That's next time. Until then, safe travels. I'm Alex Silverman, and this is The Breaking Point. What's that thing they say about history? About those who don't learn from it? The Metropolitan Transportation Authority is expected to find immediate solutions to problems that should have been faced over the last 35 years. But by 1973, the five-year-old MTA was patting itself on the back about a series of shiny new expansion projects, like the Second Avenue subway. Meanwhile, deferred maintenance, which is exactly what it sounds like, had the system crumbling so badly that New Yorkers began to flee. I think they're lousy. Flee at a rate that, if it kept up, would leave no one riding the subways by the early 2000s. Our politicians have amnesia. They don't remember. They don't follow history. Sam Schwartz spent those decades as a city transportation engineer. Starving a system, thinking you're saving money, is going to cause a lot of headaches down the road. Out of that crisis came the first of many capital plans. Mitchell Moss runs the transportation center at NYU. New York under Governor Carey and then Governor Mario Cuomo invested about $70 billion and the subway system went from a point where we had 3 million riders a day to 6 million riders a day very successfully. So there's a bit of irony in the MTA's go-to line about what causes the bulk of subway delays, which are up 150% in less than five years. Just listen to former acting MTA chairman Freddie Ferrer. Those are things that fail when you have a capacity problem, and we are at capacity. Of course, overcrowding wouldn't be such a problem if we'd invested in a modern signal system that could run more trains closer together. So why don't we do that now? And they're talking seven years per line, 40 years to put a new signal system in the subway. More on that next week. But here's the point. The true failures started during the Pataki and Spitz administration when they went for east side access and Second Avenue subway rather than investing in modernization and maintaining a good system. The priority should be taking care of what we have because that's what moving six million people a day. Six million frustrated people. It took me two hours to make a 45 minute commute the other day. One day I was two hours and 40 minutes late to work. Today people regularly get 
get on the train not knowing if they'll ever get to work. John Raskin heads the Riders Alliance, an advocacy group. That's unacceptable for the city. We have to have an MTA recognizes that this is a crisis which requires crisis management, not business as usual. Seems like we're getting there. Declaring a state of emergency. Or are we? For anyone to say, not my problem, it's the state's problem. They don't know the law. They don't know the history. I hope that our elected officials move a lot faster than waiting until we have casualties on our transit system. Till next time, safe travels. I'm Alex Silverman, and this is The Breaking Point. Some days are good, some days are really, really bad. For New Yorkers like Nelson Cabrera. I lose my job really bad. What MTA Chairman Joe Loda said was welcome, if obvious. We've got to take this system and get it out of the late 19th century and get it into the 21st century as quickly as we possibly can. Too bad his $800 million emergency plan admittedly won't do that. Phase one is just to stabilize the system to actually get the technology to modern standards? This number scares me. Get ready. It look like close to $8 billion. While that sinks in, consider this from NYU's Mitchell system. Moss. There is no money which can deal with the fact that the system delays the actual implementation of things. The governor puts it more bluntly. A diabolical process uh, designed to inflict pain and torture people. At the rate we're going, it cannot take five years to get a subway car. And an absurd 40 years to deploy a new signal system. That's a non-starter. That's why the governor suspended the procurement rules, which most experts see as a good call. Even if we can cut the red tape, how could we possibly get all the work done on one of the world's only 24-hour transit systems? <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. Randy Glucksman was once an MTA official who wrote the orders for track shutdowns. Now he sits on the agency's board. Perhaps taking more tracks out of service, uh, shutting down lines, which is not a popular suggestion. As of this moment, Chairman Lotus says... I don't expect to shut whole systems down. But don't bet against more extended closures like the one that's coming on the L train. We see this around the world. Says the Regional Plan Association's Tom Wright. To say rather than many, many years of really poor service, shut it down for an extended period of time, and in the long term, we'll be better served by that. Meanwhile, as we try desperately to catch up to what we needed yesterday, we'll tackle a bigger question. Why does it cost so darn much in this city to build for tomorrow? Four times more expensive for a mile of subway here in New York than it is in London. Until next time, safe travels. I'm Alex Silverman, and this is The Breaking Point. We've been over how modern infrastructure would help ease the crush of record ridership, but there's no doubt the subway system needs to expand. Someone asked me today, is it necessary to have the Second Avenue subway? Fernando Ferrer is the MTA's vice chairman. Sure it's necessary. We have more people. Phase one, three new stations, cost roughly $4.5 billion. Since you probably don't have a reference point for mass transit mega project budgeting. It's crazy. It's far out of whack. I give you the Regional Plan Association's Tom Wright. It's basically four times more expensive for a mile of subway here in New York than it is in London. That doesn't bode well. But it's supposed to be uh, more than a dozen new stations. It was supposed to connect Brooklyn and the Bronx. Um, I don't know if we're going to see that for a long time. Phil Potts used to be the MTA's manager of planning, so he knows. So it used to be you cut a big hole in the ground and people had a few feet to walk. You fall in, you don't fall in, who knows what happens. But today we're really sensitive to people, we're really sensitive to the environment. Gas lines, one false move and kaboom. You have some wires and cables that go back to, to 
Thomas Edison's day. This is not like going into Dubai or Abu Dhabi, where you're building in the middle of a desert. When no one is there, you can move the sand anywhere. Okay, but none of that explains why it's so much more expensive to build here than in London, where it's even older, or in Tokyo, where it's just as dense. We also have high labor costs here. Um, our high labor costs because it's an expensive city, but also we have uh, unions that aren't necessarily the most efficient way to, to build a new subway. And we've been building stations that are nice and big, but more cavernous than they really need to be. On 2nd Avenue, the stations account for more than half the total budget. There's no silver bullet on this. So how can we make it more manageable? A big piece of this is time. If a project takes extra time to build. The escalation is pretty enormous. Well, we're looking at a number of things like design build. Where a single contractor controls a more streamlined process. But no matter what you do, you need a huge amount of money, so people are going to have to suck it up if they want better transit service. When just this week, the MTA's managing director, Ronnie Hakem, was asked at a city council hearing... Would you consider doing a study to understand why New York City costs are four times higher than Boston. She would only say, I'll bring that back to the chair. Okay. If you're wondering, phase two of the Second Avenue subway up to 125th Street is projected to cost six billion and we have no idea how it'll be paid for. Next week we go above ground where you might have noticed things are just as congested. This is a very unusual moment in history. Until then, safe travels. I'm Alex Silverman and this is The Breaking Point. It's not in your head. Congestion is at crisis levels in the city. The average speed in the lower half of Manhattan is down 15% since 2010 to an exasperating 8 miles an hour. This is a very unusual moment in history. Says Sam Schwartz, the man who coined that dreaded word, gridlock. He was the city traffic commissioner in the 80s. It's usually a yin-yang. You know, traffic gets worse, more people use the subways, the subways get worse, more people drive. Now it's the subways are getting worse and traffic is getting worse. So why is that? Maybe you're tempted to shout, bike lanes. Want to be clear on this point? That's the current city transportation commissioner, Polly Trottenberg. Given the city's dramatic population growth, our streets would be experiencing rising congestion even if we'd not added a single bike, bus lane, or pedestrian plaza. So what is happening? We weren't prepared for this thing called Uber and Lyft. 175% more for higher vehicles in just two years. Mayor de Blasio tried to cap them, Uber dug in for a fight. The mayor backed down. I think that was a mistake. Neither Uber nor Lyft responded to requests to be a part of our story. Add to them, says NYU's Mitchell Moss. The vast culture of the trucks that are coming because of e-commerce. The Amazons of the world. The economy has changed, and that means that streets are bearing the brunt of this. Councilman Mark Levine blames a rise in chain stores. There's nothing more frustrating than seeing an 18-wheeler backing up uh, making a delivery to a store on a busy street at the busiest time of day. And the building boom doesn't help. Every time you have a crane in the ground, there's usually a traffic lane taken out of commission. One obvious solution is to build more and better transit options. Just look at what's happened with the 2nd Avenue subway. Since service began, traffic volumes have decreased on the Lexington Ave and 2nd Avenues, and taxi speeds are up 7%. But we've talked about how impossibly expensive and time-consuming that is. So what can we do now? Exploring the idea of congestion pricing. Does it have new life? That's next time. Until then, safe travels. I'm Alex Silverman, and this is The Breaking Point. Ever since April 7th, 2008. Like the end for congestion pricing. After Speaker Silver counted noses and realized the wheels had come off. It's been a tailpipe dream. But now, a decade later, as black cars and box trucks multiply, 
Governor Cuomo has dug it up from the great Albany graveyard. We agree with the governor. It's a policy whose time has come. John Orcutt is with Transit Center, a transportation think tank. So you don't fill up skyscrapers with people driving in. You fill them in with high-capacity transit, and that's the subway. And now there's urgency to find a way to fund it. But the thing is, we know nothing about the Cuomo plan, how closely it might resemble the one former traffic commissioner Sam Schwartz drew up, known as Move New York. We reintroduce electronic charging at the Four East River Bridges, where we had tolls until 1911. We introduce it at 60th Street. Slashing tolls on the outskirts of the city, like the Verrazano, Throgsneck, and Whitestone. The Ubers of the world all pay by mileage and time that they spend in the central business district. It's a two birds, one stone approach. Raise money to maintain the subways and reduce traffic. The opposition has always sounded something like this from NYU's Mitchell Moss. People who live in Brooklyn and Queens don't feel they should pay an extra fee to come into Manhattan because they're going to the dentist or because they're going for surgery. Counterpoint from John Orcutt. If you have people abandoning the subway to take Uber, that doesn't help people who have to drive. Meanwhile, Mayor de Blasio won't touch this with a 10-foot tire iron. I don't think it's politically viable. If Albany has any appetite for his subway funding alternative, a tax on the rich, it hasn't shown itself so yet. I got a lot of other things to do in the meantime. Like getting reelected. I think it's kind of a political position he's taking prior to the election. And um, once the governor comes out with a, a plan that, you know, whose pieces can be seen and debated and worked over, um, you know, we're hopeful that he'll come to the table as well. And just because you asked me to overcomplicate it, there's a legal expert at NYU named Roderick Hills who says the city actually does have the power to implement congestion pricing without the state based on a 1950s law. So it's strange to me to hear the city repeatedly say we've studied this and we don't have the power. But most experts seem to think the only way is for the city and the state to work together. I think we need two men to get in a room. And that's the mayor and the governor. Next week, we'll bring it all home. What must we do as a city, state, region, and nation to avoid truly reaching the breaking point? I'm Alex Silverman. Till then, safe travels. History judges us by how we respond. When the West Side Highway collapsed, fell to the ground in 1973, we should have known then that we had an impending dangerous crisis coming up. But instead, says former city traffic commissioner Sam Schwartz. Fifteen people died in the 1980s in bridge collapses. That's what it took for the city, for the region to to react. When we started this series eight weeks ago, the warning signs had piled up on paper in statistics and if you're a commuter, probably in your experience. It's like all of a sudden what happens to the subway? It's falling apart. When everybody realizes it's a problem. Said a hopeful Phil Plotch who used to manage planning at the MTA. That's when you could solve a problem. So how have we responded? A series of derailments forced Amtrak to finally undertake major repairs at Penn Station. And despite this reminder from VP Stephen Gardner. The station will not be, quote-unquote, fixed when we finish this work. It hasn't been as infernal as a lot of us expected. So that Summer of Hell label got slapped on the subways, which got new leadership. I don't want to get into politics. And an $800 million rescue plan. But we still don't know if it'll be a tax on the rich or congestion pricing or something else entirely that'll pay for it even if the money does magically appear. We have to suffer for a number of years. There's no getting around that. Aside from federal money, which is going to be essential in the long run, I asked the experts what we can do better, big picture, and I got a pretty consistent answer. There's no one government organization that thinks about what's best for the region. I would recommend a regional authority that includes New Jersey Transit, PATH, with professionals operating it, not with politicians coming up with their ideas and schemes, we'd be much better off. That seems very idealistic to think that you could possibly separate it from politics. 
Yeah, I've only been around for a half century in transportation, and I remain idealistic. Because right now what we have is kind of the worst of both worlds. That's the Regional Plan Association's Tom Wright. When things go well, the politicians will take credit for it, but when they fail, they will say, well, I'm not in charge, who me? And and we can't go with that any longer. We are New Yorkers, after all, so we're never going to be completely satisfied with our transportation system. But we've come this close to the breaking point. We know what we have to do. I'm Alex Silverman. Safe travels. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.